And I want to look at two verses, the two introductory verses, one and two, and uh, share with you a thought on my heart. I've been thinking about it all week. I started humming and singing a little bit that I know of the song, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. Just been kind of, you know, I don't know if I heard it on WZYN or where I heard it perhaps early in the week, but I just haven't been able to clear my mind from it and or it from my mind. And uh, so I went and looked uh, here in, uh, in this passage of Scripture. And uh, then we got to Sunday school this morning. Brother Anderson always leads our congregation, our Sunday school congregation, with a song. We've been doing that for years. We start off the Sunday morning with a song, then with prayer. In the adult Sunday school class, let me invite you to be in that class if you're not currently in one. But uh, the words came up on the screen, uh, Christ receiveth sinful men, even me, with all my sin. And so sometimes you kind of make your way to the pulpit guessing, hoping, thinking, maybe, probably not. But then sometimes you just come and God just affirms, confirms, reassures. That's exactly what he wants us to speak on this morning. And so we look at these two verses. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And in verse number two, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured. They thought they were saying something negative about him. But in reality, they were saying something that was very positive about him. They thought they were criticizing him with their murmuring and gossiping about him. But little did they know that those words would ring through generations of time as some of the most precious words that you will ever hear from anywhere at any time. This man receiveth sinners. And we'll, we'll kind of look at the, uh, the story that unfolds uh, just briefly. The story that unfolds in this passage of Scripture, it's kind of the, the immoral of the story is at the end of it, there's this brother that doesn't want to come and eat uh, in the house with his father and with his brother that had gone into sin. And, uh, and so that's the, the first part of the story is kind of the, the um, introductory remarks, introductory remarks to what happens through the course of the story. And over at the end of the story, here's this brother. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a good son, but he's a poor brother. He don't want to go in and eat well, when his brother comes home, his, his brother that was lost and was now found, and his father prepares this great feast of a meal and brings him in, and this brother doesn't want to go in. But before that, Jesus, it has already been recognized that Jesus receives sinful men, and he, he cordially receives sinners unto himself. Now, that's kind of the mold of, of what we're looking at this morning. The title of our message is very simple. Some things never change. Some things never change. Now, if you, if you understand the setting for Luke, uh, near the end of the book of Luke, a little toward 
little beyond halfway, not quite to the end of the book of Luke, it helps us to understand uh, these statements and their full meaning, that Christ receiveth sinful men. For in just a few days, he will go his last few miles, he will have the last few events from his completion of his earthly ministry. He's now in the southern part of Galilee. He will march on toward Jericho and then into Jerusalem for his final crucifixion. And in that setting, in the light of that setting, understanding where he is now in his ministry, where he's been, and how soon his ministry on earth will be over, the Bible said that this man receiveth sinners. I want to elaborate on that for a few moments this morning. And again, the thought of our message is some things never change. Some things never change. Now, many things uh, in this world in the course of time change. I looked in the scripture and I found these to be true. In Jeremiah chapter number 2 and verse number 11, the Bible teaches us that nations change. Nations change. The Bible said, Hath a nation changed their gods which are no gods? A nation changes for sure. And then the second thing I found to be true was that people change. Jeremiah chapter number 11. I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but people do change. But my people have changed. My people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. And so we see in the scripture that nations change, and obviously that's true. You've seen our, nations cha our nation change. I've watched it change in my short lifetime of almost three quarters of a century. Our nation has changed dramatically in the last 50 years or so. In every aspect of our nation, it has changed. It has changed in, uh, on all, in every part of the landscape of the land, politically, economically, socially, religiously, whatever the case may be, our nation has changed. And nobody can deny that. We're not the nation we were after World War II. We're not the nation we were after Vietnam. We're not the nation that we have been decades ago. Nations change, but people change. Have you ever noticed that? How that people are given to change? And people can start out so sincere, even changing in the Lord. People can start off so sincere in the Lord, and they, they seem to when they first get saved. They have this wonderful measure of love for Him, and they can't get enough. You can't preach to them enough. You can't have enough church services. They come When they get saved, they get baptized. They start coming to Sunday school, and then they start coming on Sunday morning, and then they start on Sunday night, and then they add Wednesday night prayer meeting, and then you call for revival. Doesn't matter if you have four revivals a year. They're there for every single revival service. They're in vacation Bible school. They're in prayer meeting. They go on visitation. And then all of a sudden, they change. People change, don't they? You haven't noticed that? People change. You know, when we first get saved, that, that relationship to Him, and we burn the midnight oil, we'll stay up late and get up early in the morning and get in His Word and just focus and every little word and every little verb and adjective and noun and everything, we stop and pause or we slow down for every comma and we pause and stop at every period and we make sure that we're absorbing all of that Word, then all of a sudden people begin to change. Have you noticed that? It could be true in your life. 
It's certainly true in my life. People change. Here's something else that changes. Some things never do. Nations always do. People always do. But churches change. Sure they do. You might understand that Revelation 2.4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, the church at Ephesus, because thou hast left thy first love. Nations lose their love for God, and people lose their love for God, and churches lose their love for Him. And so just some valid examples in the Word of God right, right out of the Scripture, how things are given to change. It's amazing to me how much church has changed in my little lifetime. And uh, I got saved back in 1972, and church has changed since then. I remember the spirit of going to church in those, in those days gone by, and it seemed like that Sunday that it was recognized as, does anybody know, the Lord's Day. But little by little, the Lord's Day has become just another day. There was a time that we'd get up and get ready to go to church to go to meeting. Have you ever heard the old timers say that? Uh, it's, it's Sunday to go to meeting day. And we'd go to the house of God to meet with God. Amen, amen. Churches change, don't they? And that we'd come in and we'd fellowship and we'd sing and we'd worship and we'd rejoice and we'd shout and we'd cry and we'd see sinners saved and, and you'd feel the power of God in every song and in every message. You'd, you'd know the presence of God because His people came, the church came to have a meeting. But today we don't go to church to have a meeting. Church has become an event becoming an event. It's, it's more of an activity to, now than, than what it used to be. So I'm just saying to you that churches change as well as people and nations. Well, and uh, it has been said that the church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy that you can't even tell the difference anymore. Oh, well. And uh, so if you heard it first, you heard it here. I believe church ought to be special. Amen. I believe we ought to get up on Sunday morning and uh, we, ought to, we ought to get up and have, a, have a, a season of prayer. And if you have an opportunity, get in the book a little bit and, and, and be praying for the preacher and praying for your Sunday school teacher and, uh, and get on your best clothes and, and head to the house of God. And when you get there, have something in mind that you want to meet with Him. That you want to meet with Him. You'd be amazed how much it would revolutionize our church services. If we just came, if we, if we went to church like we go to a ball game, man, we'll, we'll, we'll get on all our, our, our school colors and, and I mean, we, we, we go whole hog and, 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 and 100% teetotally unconditionally. We make sure that, that when we get there that we're cheering and, and we're excited. And, and I used to say that uh, we go to ball games and act like a Comanche Indian. You can't say that now. But we go to church and act like a wooden Indian, just kind of, you know, hello. I've been wanting to say that for a while. I believe church is somewhere that we ought to, we ought to prepare for. Amen. I tell you, it's a sad day when churches, when, when, when the bowling alley, we, we went to the bowling alley one day this week. Our little great-granddaughter Avery was here and she wanted to go bowling. And so 
You go bowling when your great-granddaughter wants to go bowling. You go eat where she wants to eat. You do what they want to do. She calls the shots and everybody else just falls in line. Walked into the bowling alley. Guess what they had at the bowling alley? It's a sad day when the bowling alley has, has standards and the churches don't even have them anymore. I, honestly, when you walk up to the counter, they have, they have a dress code right here before you at the counter. I was shocked to see it. Well, anyhow, uh, moving on from that, Churches change, but God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, he said, For I am the Lord, and I change not. <laughs> he doesn't change. He doesn't change. James 1.17, the Bible said, every good, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God doesn't change. Numbers 20, doesn't matter what society does, doesn't matter what works, God doesn't change. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man, hallelujah, that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it? God doesn't change. And so with that in mind, there's three things that I want to mention to you about this matter of Jesus receiving sinners, sinful men. In the first place, his mission never changes. It's amazing to me that from before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, before God ever laid the mud seals of this old earth, that Jesus was set apart to come and to die on the cross of Calvary for the sins of all the world. And from the very foundation until the moment of his death, his mission never changed. From the time that he entered through as a little baby through his mother Mary's womb and began to grow in stature and in wisdom and he began to grow and begin to learn and knowledge uh, that he already had as, as Jesus started his earthly ministry that was very short every single moment of every single day, every event that he went to, everything that he was involved in. It didn't matter where it was or what it was. He had one purpose in mind, just one mission set to do, and that was to reach sinners. Now stay with me, to reach sinners. He was prepared as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Number one, Jesus, his mission never changes. What his mission was 2,000 years ago, his mission is today. And the mission that he had should be the one that you and I have, and the vision that he had should be the one that we carry, and uh, the work that he did should be the works that we do. He even said that we do greater works than those. And so our mission today cannot change. I know that there's a lot of good causes in the world, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the mission never changes. He still receives sinners. And I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that he does. Number two, Luke 17 in verse number 19, And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith, hath made thee whole. Not only does his mission never change, 
but his message never changes. The same message that he gave those uh, to uh, whom he came in contact with, the same message that he gave them is the message that has been carried through generations of time and uh, through the believers of the ages, even until this day. It is an unchanged message. Quite frankly, it has never changed. It's not a different message than Adam heard. It's not a different message than Abraham heard. It's not a different message than Noah heard. Nor the prophets are in the days of the, of the judges and the days of the king. The message has always been one and the same. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's very simply this. Man is lost because of his disobedience. Because of the disobedience of Adam. That's what happened in the garden. He disobeyed God. Wasn't eating an apple or whatever that was. He, he disobeyed God. And because he disobeyed God, he became lost. And the only way you can get saved is do what Jesus did. He obeyed God. And the, and the only thing, and you can put anything in the middle of all of that that you want to, and we can talk about the blood, and we can talk about Calvary, and we can talk about prayer, and we can talk about repentance and judgment. We can talk about everything. But the bottom line is, a man is lost because of Adam's disobedience, and a man is saved because of Christ's obedience to God. And in him, we have redemption through his blood. It's the only way to get in. The Baptists Baptist can lay their claims, the Methodists, the Episcopalians, the Pentecostals, everybody can add anything they want in between and they can talk about everything, but the bottom line is you're lost because of Adam's disobedience and you're saved because of Christ's obedience and you trust him as your savior. The message never changes. The message never changes. Number three and finally, his motivation never changed. I, this is, this is um, very simple. Luke 19, 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and listened to these last words and wept over it. And wept over it. Nobody can deny his compassion. Nobody can deny his concern. No one can deny this morning that, that he carried a burden from the day he started his ministry till he went yonder to Calvary and got up out of the grave after three days. Nobody can, can deny that Jesus Christ, that his motivation was his love and his burden for his people. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The shortest verse in the Bible, John, what is it, 1635? Jesus wept. I did a, a whole message years ago on, on the chemistry of tears and what tears do, where tears come from, the reason we have tears and the, the healing process that comes from crying, it's all right to cry, and how that Jesus cried. Not only did he shed his blood, but he wept for his people. He wept for sinners. 
And his great love for sinners cannot be denied this morning. He, he loved us beyond measure. He loved us when we were yet without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, how, can we any, how can we have any less motivation than what he had? That we love sinners. When's the last time we wept over some lost loved one? People used to do that. I was, we were talking at the back of the building earlier. And... Uh, Somebody, Brother Wilbur, Brother Andy, and somebody else, maybe Brother Ronnie, they were standing there, and I was just passing by, and they were talking about how that uh, prayer changes things. Amen? Prayer changes things. And I just made this statement in my passing by, and I said, yeah, it changed me. After I got saved, my grandmother, my mother's mother, Grandma... She was Grandma Smith, but uh, as as uh, my my mother's mama, and uh, we we were standing in the receiving line. Maybe it's when I got baptized. I don't know. Maybe it was the next Sunday. But I was standing in that line, and people were coming by, and they were telling, you know, we're so proud, we're so happy. I mean, we'd gotten saved, and I was standing in that line. I was standing, and my dear grandmother walked by. She was saved in the Church of God, precious lady, Baptist most of her life. She came by and she hugged me and squeezed me and she whispered in this ear and said, I have prayed for you 22 years. What about that? I prayed for you for 20. You know how old I was? 22. I prayed for you for 22. That's a long time to pray for somebody. But the motivation was there. The love was there. The tears were there. No matter, how, no, no telling how many nights she went to bed with her grandchildren and uh, in her mind and praying for them. As far as I know, most every one of them got saved at some point in time. All my cousins that I was raised with. And so the mission never changes. The message never changes. I'm not trying to be clever. The motivation never changes. He wept over the city. We lose these things, don't we? To, to time and to change. Our mission sometimes is kind of scattered in a thousand different ways. There are so many good things that are going on in the world. I mean, bad things that we can be part of and help out and make a difference and make a change. The message sometimes gets lost in, in all of the various needs but the greatest message is still the message of salvation. Sometimes our motivation gets kind of distorted and it gets lost in all of the, all of the social things and the political things and the economic things and, and all of the different causes in the world, the hunger and the abuse and, the, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But his motivation was always to reach one more soul, to reach one more soul. To the glory of God, may that always be our motivation. May our mission remain, may our message remain, may our motivation remain in these closing moments. They sang the song, He's coming at the midnight cry. We'll be going home. Would you stand with us for prayer this morning? Some things never change. He still receives sinners.
Our Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning that you might speak to our hearts. If there's one here, Lord, I know there's so many things that we could talk about from behind this sacred desk. But Lord, if there's one sinner here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, we could not have a more important message than to let them know that Christ loves them, that He died for them, and that He'll receive them. Lord, speak to hearts. Lord, for those of us who are believers, may we take to heart these three simple things. We have a mission and we have a message. And may we be motivated to carry it forth. Thank you, Father, for what this church does. We're so excited. Thank you, Father, for the burdens that it carries on behalf of others. Lord, I pray that you would richly bless us with souls. Lord, for our labor, our desire is to see souls. Bless now and have your way in Jesus' name. While these are praying, 